0: good afternoon. My name's Dave, and uh, I have the joy of uh, just opening God's Word to us uh, this afternoon. I want to add my welcome to uh, any who are guests and visitors amongst us. I know we have some, and you're very welcome uh, amongst us. It's great to have you here. There may be some joining us uh, online who, uh, for mayb- maybe for you, it's the first time you've joined us. Maybe you've been joining us online for a few weeks. You're also most welcome. Uh, it's great to have you with us, and we pray that, God will speak to us all uh, through his word uh, right now. We're going to continue our series entitled On the Road with Jesus. It's a series that we're following in Luke's gospel. uh, And uh, if you recall last week, uh, Owen opened up with us a passage that showed uh, how Jesus responded when a teacher of the law came to him with a trick question. Uh, And Jesus dealt with that question as he dealt with every situation that he faced. Uh, But today we're coming to a a, a passage uh, where Jesus is asked something else. Something else is asked of him by uh, his disciples or one of his disciples. And on this occasion, it's a genuine request. It's not a trick question. It's a genuine request. The disciples had seen Jesus praying. And one of them came up to him after he'd finished and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. What a great question, isn't it? Yeah, Lord, teach us how to pray. It's a, it's a question that we could echo uh, this afternoon. They'd seen Jesus' ministry. They'd seen how he'd operated uh, day in, day out, healing uh, the sick, uh, casting out evil spirits, even raising the dead. They'd seen him handle difficult situations with the religious authorities and not be daunted by them and they'd seen him continually praying and they wanted to learn from him i wonder this afternoon how you would describe your prayer life it might be vibrant it might be that you're passionate about prayer and that's great But it may be that for some of us, it's non-existent or inconsistent, spasmodic. You know, we go through ups and downs. Sometimes it's hard going. Other times we find it easier. Sometimes we can't think of the words to say, or we can't find the time to set aside to pray. And I don't mean, are you seeing answers to prayer? I guess... You are seeing answers to prayer, as indeed I am. But that's not an indication, actually, of whether we pray or not. That's an indication of God's grace uh, to us. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, and he doesn't withhold good things from us just because we haven't prayed. But he does take delight when we do come before him in prayer. He wants us to do so. We're going to talk about prayer today, and in doing so, I don't want to sound legalistic. I don't want to put on you uh, some sort of heavy load. Um, This isn't a set of rules or expectations. God doesn't want us to pray out of some sense of compulsion or obligation. He wants us to take joy in coming and talking with him. So if, like me, you're not satisfied with your prayer life and you want to become closer to God, Let's see some of what Jesus teaches us about prayer. We're going to read from Luke's gospel and from chapter 11. We're going to read the first 13 verses. If you've got your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up and follow uh, along as I read. So Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In this passage, we have some Words that will be very familiar to most of us, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. This isn't the only time that Jesus is recorded uh, as teaching his disciples this prayer. It appears in slightly longer form in Matthew's Gospel uh, towards the, uh, as part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Even today, in many thousands of churches up and down our country, and actually throughout the world, this prayer will have been recited as part of their worship. Millions of people across the world will have said these very words today. For many of you, these words will take you back to uh, your days in Sunday school, or maybe uh, maybe even primary school or secondary school, uh, when it was part of your school assembly. For some, these words will have had real meaning. people will have understood what they were saying and they would have said them with all sincerity. Sadly, though, for the majority, I guess, this prayer was memorized when they were young. And the words still come to mind, but actually they carry very little meaning and they're not prayed out of any relationship with God. Please don't misunderstand me. There's nothing inherently wrong with having memorized these words and in using these words in our prayers. What matters is whether we mean them. What matters is where our heart is when we pray these words. Remember Jesus' warning to those listening on the mount when he delivered this prayer. He said, but you, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The prayer that Jesus shared with His disciples was not given to be prescriptive or to be recited verbatim. It was given as an example of how we should pray. It contained constituent parts, the recipe, the ingredients that should feature when we pray. It serves as a great reminder to us of who we are, of who we're praying to, and the things we should be praying about. But the words and expressions we use should be ours and should come from our hearts. The very first phrase in this chapter is so important. Luke tells us that everything that follows the teaching that Jesus brings, the illustration that he gives through the parable are as a result of Jesus praying and being seen to pray by his disciples. This is Jesus, the son of God, the one who left his father's side to come to earth on a rescue mission for all mankind because we'd fallen short of God's glory. Jesus, who said that he and the father were one this Jesus was praying to his father. And this was no isolated instance. Luke, with his customary attention to detail, captures more incidents of Jesus praying than any other gospel writer. He records him praying at his baptism, before choosing the 12 disciples, before feeding the 5,000, when the 70 returned, and when he blessed the children, at the Passover meal, When Peter's faith looked weak in his dying breath before his ascension, and on many other occasions as well, do you get the picture? Jesus prayed. In fact, Luke tells us in chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So when he was observed praying by his disciples on this occasion, this was far from an isolated instance. Even the sinless son of God, the one who knew before he came, everything, absolutely everything that was going to happen to him, wanted to spend time praying to his father, talking to his father. He felt the need to do so. On one level, that seems amazing. But on another, so utterly natural. Relationships are important, aren't they? Are they? Oh, okay, relationships are important. Um, I can remember back to when my kids were young. It's a few years ago now, but uh, the delight that I would have when they would come and sit on my knee or sit on the floor in front of me and talk to me about what had been going on in their day, about the challenges, the difficulties, the joys. And even now, they've long since flown the nest, but when they ring up or when they call in, and talk about what's going on in their lives, you know the challenges, their aspirations, what's what you know what's on their minds. It's fabulous, you know that relationship uh, that we have. It was no different with Jesus. He wanted to keep his father in touch with what was going on to share with him, not because he needed to know he already knew, but because he had relationship with him. He always wanted to do what his father wanted. Remember Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We were created by God for relationship with him. Through Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, relationship was broken, but through his death on the cross, Jesus has enabled us to have free access, free access to God in prayer, and to be counted worthy or acceptable when we come into his presence. Note that Jesus begins by teaching his disciples by saying, when you pray, or perhaps better translated, whenever you pray. This framework is so helpful to us. Each component is important and the sequencing within the structure is really important as we see as we we'll work through it it's something i sense we can all miss at times one of our core pursuits at foundation church is that we want to be people who are growing like jesus we know in this life we'll never attain the perfection that was his but by reading uh, the scriptures applying his word in our lives and by praying and with the help of the holy spirit then we will be changed daily to become more like him. One way we can do that is by following the example Jesus gave us in praying, to rejoice that through all that Jesus has done, we've got free access to God. He delights when we come to him. I want us to consider four aspects of this model prayer that Jesus has given us. The first one is, that through prayer we affirm our love for God. Jesus starts by saying, Father, hallowed be your name. Or in the longer version in Matthew's Gospel, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Importantly, Jesus begins by telling the disciples to whom they should address their prayers. The pattern of prayer that he gave them and it is still right for us today, is that we focus on God initially and not on ourselves. We may have a long list of things we want to talk to God about, but they're all in reality temporal and trivial when compared to the con- in the context of building his kingdom. Just after teaching the disciples to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told them to seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He said this in the context of prayer and of us worrying about our physical needs. So our focus when we come to pray firstly needs to be on God. And Jesus directs them to start by saying, our Father in heaven. It's clear that Jesus can address his prayers to his Father. But he tells his disciples also to call him Father or our father. The Aramaic word, Abba, translated father, is a familiar form of address, it's our equivalent to dad or daddy. To the traditional Jew, this would have been outrageous, utterly shocking. Throughout the whole of the Old Testament, God was only referred to on 14 occasions as Father. And on each occasion, the term was used in a corporate sense, never an individual sense. We see references to him as father of the nation or father of Israel. But look at Old Testament characters. You never find Abraham referring to him as my father. In using the address Abba, our father, Jesus is extending to his disciples and to us the same intimate relationship with the Father that he himself enjoyed. In his gospel, John writes about Jesus coming into the world to his own, to the people of Israel, to seek and to save them, and that they failed to receive him. He goes on to say, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children, children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. When we're born again, we become children of God, sons and daughters, joint heirs with Jesus. The Apostle Paul talks about those who've been saved as being adopted into God's family. This is amazing stuff that we who once were lost and far off have now been made acceptable to approach the very presence of God. It reminds me of that parable that Owen shared with us just a couple of weeks ago of the prodigal son. That younger son who came to his father and took his inheritance, his share of the inheritance, and went off into a far country and squandered it on wild living, and was reduced to taking a job, feeding the swine, feeding the pigs, and eating the very pods that the pigs would have eaten, until we read, he came to his senses. I love that phrase, he came to his senses, he realized, actually, he'd be far better off in his father's house, as a servant in his father's house. So he decided he would come back, and he would repent of what he'd done, and come back to his father and offered to serve in the house. Well, we know his father saw him afar off and ran towards him, called for the best robe and put it on his shoulders, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, all marks of being part of the family, all marks of sonship, and rejoiced that his son who was lost had returned. We were that son. I was that son. You were that son or daughter. Maybe some listening here today or maybe some who are online you know, are still in that far off land feeling they're not fit to enter into the Father's house. The great news is that through the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins, our wayward living, we can be made worthy to become sons. While there's nothing about us that would make us worthy, we can be counted worthy because of what Jesus has done for us. And this enables us to come into his very presence in prayer with a sense of boldness and confidence. But there's an interesting juxtaposition as Jesus continues, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. As our Father, we think of Uh, of intimacy and approachability. But then we see he's in heaven, which suggests an attitude of reverence is called for. Yes, he's our father, but he's also the creator of the universe. He's creator of us. The one who flung the stars into space, the one who created all that we see around us, the beauty that we see around us today, the one we read about in that psalm earlier on, one who created all human life. He is the king who rules over all. The psalmist tells us that he has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Our starting point when we pray should be to recognize to whom we're praying and to give him the glory that is due his name. This is the first of two petitions or pleas about God himself. Our focus at the outset should be on him, his person, his character, his fame. I wonder how often you and I barge into his very presence with our long shopping list of items. With no recognition of who he is or for what he's done for us. We just immediately focus on our needs and our wants. We don't use the word hallowed too much these days. you used it in the last week? I certainly not. Um, Hallowed means holy, to consider holy or to treat holy. Our Father is worthy of praise, deserving of glory, of honor, respect. Jesus taught his disciples to start here, to pray that God would be glorified. Glorified in our lives and glorified in the lives of others. When we pray these words, we're asking God to enable us and men and women everywhere to recognize him and to honor him as their holy, almighty and heavenly father. To bring people everywhere to a place where they will worship him and serve him. It's a massive prayer and one that can slip off our tongues so easily when we simply recite the words without thinking about them. It would be a pretty big ask if we were just praying this for ourselves, but so much bigger when we're praying it for all mankind. Secondly, through prayer we engage in advancing his kingdom. The next phrase in the prayer, the second petition about God, is another massive ask Thy kingdom come. How many times have we recited the Lord's Prayer without really considering the implications of what we're saying? There's a number of aspects to this that we should consider. There's the coming kingdom of God, the time when Jesus will return again. He'll return again to judge the world, to establish his eternal kingdom. As Christians, we should look forward eagerly to that day, In eager anticipation for the time when he will return, when there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more sorrow. It's an amazing hope that we have. In writing to Titus, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Those verses speak to us about that glorious time when Jesus will return again. But they also speak to us about a second aspect, which is the here and now. The here and now of the kingdom of God. The need for us to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to him. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying that God's reign, that his reign, his authority, would be evident in our lives on a day-by-day basis. That he would be Lord of our lives. That in itself is a pretty bold ask. We're praying that we will be subject to him in all things. In our finances, in our career, in the way we bring up our families, in our relationship, in all things, that we will be subject to his rule and his authority. And that we're happy for him to be seated on the throne. That we're not wanting to be on the throne ourselves. And we're called to draw others to him. Responding to the call that we've received from Jesus to go and make disciples, to be witnesses, shows that we are serious about what we pray when we say, thy kingdom come. Yes, we know that he could and can bring people to know him, to accept him, to follow him, without any input whatsoever from us. He can, and he does on occasions. But actually, he chooses to partner with us. It's amazing to think that God's kingdom is advanced through your prayers and activities and mine, the activities and prayers of his people. Think about it for a moment. The sovereign God, creator and sustainer of all things, is encouraging us frail and sinful human beings to pray and to partner with him that his kingdom will come, that the extent of his reign and rule would advance. It's an amazing privilege that we have. Thirdly, through prayer, we acknowledge our dependence upon him. In the final section of the prayer, the model prayer, we start to focus on ourselves and our needs. And in doing so, we acknowledge our dependence upon God. Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. There are three requests in these two verses and for each of them, we're totally dependent upon God. We need him to give us each day our daily bread, forgiveness for our sins, and the ability to resist temptation. We're going to look briefly at those elements. Not a day goes past when we should fail to recognize and, and, and acknowledge our dependence upon him. You may think of yourself as a very capable person, You've got it all together. You're able to provide for yourself and your family. You're able to make decisions uh, for yourself. But stop for a moment and ask yourself, who put the breath in your lungs this morning or just now? Who gave you the intellect, the ability to learn, the ability to study? Who gifted you with the skills to do the work that you do, to earn money, to provide for your family. He's provided it all. Since creation, he has provided for mankind. Go right back into Genesis and we read that God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, trees on the land that bear fruit. And then fast forward into the wilderness when uh, the children of Israel were going through uh, the wilderness and in those 40 years, God provided for them daily sustenance. In the same way, God provides for our daily needs. In Lamentations 3, we read, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, He provides for us physically. We know that. But he also provides for us spiritually. You know, scholars tell us that the phrase that we uh, have read here and that Jesus is telling his disciples to pray can be translated today's bread or can also be translated tomorrow's bread. In other words, the bread of eternity, Jesus himself. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's bread for today and bread for tomorrow. Secondly, we're to ask daily for forgiveness. Jesus tells the disciples to pray, forgive us our sins, For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I wonder if we truly understand the seriousness of this. The implication is that our forgiveness of others is a condition. That as we come before God and ask for forgiveness for ourselves, we need to have forgiven others. It's a sobering thought. And the daily aspect... Means we have to have hearts that are gentle, hearts that are generous towards forgiving others as God has forgiven us. It's forgiving and not keeping the score. Jesus explained forgiveness in a parable in which a servant owed his master a huge debt which he couldn't pay. You may recall the, the parable, and the, the servant came before his master, and the master was going to sell everything that the servant had, including his uh, his wife and kids. He was going to sell them to recoup the money that he was owed. But the servant begged for forgiveness and begged for mercy. And so the master actually wrote the debt off and set him free. And on his way out, he encountered another servant who owed him a trivial amount by comparison. But he had this other servant thrown into jail until he could pay. And when the master found out about this, he was not well pleased. He handed the first servant over to the jailers until he too could pay his debt. And Jesus said, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you've become a Christian, you've had a huge debt written off, cancelled by God, one you could never have cleared yourself. I ask myself as I ask you, is there anyone from whom you're withholding forgiveness? Is your attitude one of, nope, that's it, they've done it once too many times, I can't forgive them again, I've forgiven them so many times. Do you feel they don't deserve your forgiveness? You know, Thank God he doesn't treat us that way. Thank God he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, that we've received mercy from him. The third thing that we're to ask for daily is that we should not be led into temptation. Let's be clear, it's not God that leads us into temptation. He doesn't tempt us. And it's not that praying these words will all of a sudden mean that we'll go through life without temptations. We won't go through a single day without facing temptations. We will face trials. We will face temptations and testing. And if you think about it, it it's good for us that we do because that's how we're shaped. Jesus himself faced temptation but without sinning. He faced trials and was continually tested by the authorities and others who came up to him. When we pray these lines, what we're praying for is that we won't be tested beyond that which we're able to withstand. That He will help us by His Holy Spirit to withstand the temptations that come to us. And finally, Through persistent prayer, we move God. The latter part of the passage we read is an encouragement to us to ask and to be persistent. The friend who came knocking on the door after midnight was seeking bread not just for himself, but so he could feed another friend who had turned up at his house. In Middle Eastern culture, providing hospitality for a guest was really important. And bread was considered an essential, not just for its own nutritional value, but because they would often dip it into the main course and have it as an accompaniment to that main course. One loaf might have been perfectly sufficient, but it's an indication of the determination of this guy to be a a, a really good host that he requests three loaves. It was clearly a bad time for the host to go knocking on his friend's door. It was late. They'd all gone to bed. Maybe they were lying low and keeping very quiet, hoping that he would go away. But that didn't happen. He was persistent in knocking. He wanted to do the right thing in honoring his guest. In the story, Jesus tells us that his friend eventually rises from his bed to respond to the request, not not out of friendship. But because of the man's impudence. You know, I had to look up synonyms for the word impudence. And many had negative connotations rudeness, insolence, impertinence. But actually, there's a positive interpretation too, it also means boldness. We're encouraged to be bold and persistent in our prayers. If the irritated and grumpy uh, man in this story reacted favorably to this impudence, how much more will our loving Heavenly Father respond to our persistence when we pray along the lines that Jesus has told us? Jesus tells us to ask, to seek and to knock there's a fabulous progression here in asking we know we need help and we know the one to whom we're coming is able to provide help but it's fairly passive you know just ask you know and he does respond when we ask seeking requires a further level of engagement on our part We're not just asking, but we're actively engaged in seeking the help or the solution. Knocking takes things to a different level completely. There's an urgency, an imperative, a boldness about what we're doing when we knock. We're persevering. The text can be read as, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. If there's a situation that you're praying about where you need God's help and you believe it's in line with his will, press in. Let me encourage you to press in. You may have been praying for years for something. Don't hesitate. Pray again. Keep praying. We have a good father in heaven who will respond to our prayers. I'm not going to dwell on the final couple of verses. We looked at them on Pentecost Sunday, suffice to say that one of the boldest prayers we can utter is to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The promise we have is that when we ask, we will receive. He's a good father who delights in giving good gifts to his children, who delights when we come to him and show our utter dependence upon him. He will equip us with his Holy Spirit to be faithful and bold in representing him his kingdom here on earth in the way we live our lives and the way in which we witness to others jesus has given us a great framework for prayer let's each seek to use it in the days ahead will you pray this week not the lord's prayer but will you pray the constituent parts of the lord's prayer will you do so daily Will you come to the throne of grace daily and pray these elements that Jesus shared with his disciples? Let's remember, first and foremost, to cast our eyes heavenward, to cast our gaze on him first and foremost, and to bring our requests to him, motivated by love, love for him and love for those around us. I'm going to ask the band to come back if they would. And just by way of response, I just want to ask you to just think through for yourself are there people that you struggle to forgive? Are you holding forgiveness from someone because you just feel that, you know, time and time again they've failed or let you down? If that's you, I, I'd. Ask you to pray as we sing this song that He would give you forgiveness for that person, He would enable you to release them, to give them the forgiveness that you have experienced from God Himself. And then pray also as we sing the words of these songs that you will be used in bringing in His kingdom. Yeah, we want to see His kingdom come, you know, in eternity, but we want to see His kingdom brought closer and closer in this life too. So pray that he will use you. Make yourself available to him, to be used of him in sharing the good news of the gospel with others. Even this week, that others would be drawn to him. We're going to sing and Rich is going to lead us. Thank you.